Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. And by the way, if you're visiting with us, this is just a normal 845 service here <laughs> at St. Andrews. So, In Mark 14, we're going to do something a little bit different and uh, split up the scripture reading or read two sections from Mark 14. Uh, A few weeks ago when I would have been at the passage beginning with verse 27, we moved on beyond that. And so today we want to go back and pick that up and then uh, we will fast forward so to speak to uh, verse 66, but we'll start with verse 27 of Mark 14, and uh, just by way of background, Jesus and the disciples had celebrated the, the Lord's Supper. It was the last Passover, the first supper, you could call it any of those things. And then it says they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and this is what Jesus said to them, verse 27, You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Tell you the truth, Jesus answered today. Yes, tonight. Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Now they moved to Gethsemane. If you remember Jesus' praise, he finds his disciples sleeping. Three times he goes back. And even though he had told them to stay alert, he finds them sleeping. And then Jesus goes back each time in prayer to the Father. He asked the Father, in essence, is there another way? And when he got his answer, no, this is the way. Jesus went back to his disciples again, finding them asleep for the third time, and said, okay, it's time. Here comes my betrayer. Let's go. And Jesus, who is in control of this entire situation, goes to his betrayer. He's betrayed with a kiss. Jesus is arrested. He has an illegal trial before the Sanhedrin. And that trial is still going on when we 
read in verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow's one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for the beginning of our time of worship today. For the beautiful music that we enjoy here every single week. And Lord, we recognize though that that would just be sound, it would just be noise if you, the Creator, had not organized it, made it into something beautiful. And Father, our lives are that. They would just be noise if you yourself didn't come and make that into something beautiful. So today, Lord, as we come and we see another who failed so badly, will you teach us from your word? You saw fit to preserve that account of that failure, but you preserved it for us. We thank you for that. But we want to learn not just of Peter, we want to learn of you today. And so we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now we're going to look at this betrayal, but I want to note one thing as we enter into this. Uh, The Gospel of Mark was written under the authority of Peter. That's important for us to remember here. And if for no other reason, I am convinced that the very fact 
that the Scripture doesn't gloss over the flaws of the followers of Jesus and really tells it like it was. That speaks to the veracity, to the truth of the Scripture itself. Didn't hide those things. Didn't make them look like a bunch of superheroes following Jesus any more than in the Old Testament. The people that eventually, many of them were called those after God's heart. We see their flaws as well. That's the nature of the Word of God. It's truthful. And we must appreciate it for that. Now let's do take a look at this betrayal. It's one of those so familiar stories to those who might have grown up in the church or even even those that don't know a whole lot about it. They know about the denial of Peter. Um, What we need to understand is in terms of how this happened, uh, Peter misjudged his strength. Uh, Back in verse 29, look at what he had said. That's in that first section. We'll be going back and forth between these two. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Now we know the end of the story. We know what happened. Tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And as was often the case, and all the others said the same. (laughs) I always think that's interesting. They all kind of chime in. What he said... What Peter said, yeah, that sounded good. And yet we think of Peter's denial and forget too often that they they disappeared. They ran away. They were nowhere to be found. Now, I always try to emphasize when we come to a place where there are potential problems with the text, we can't just overlook those. And uh, if you have a... New International Version, you see there's some footnotes there, and it it uh, says in terms of uh, how many times the rooster's crowing. Every time it says twice, it says some early manuscripts do not have twice, which implies that some of the manuscripts just said after the rooster crows. There's potentially a problem there, and here's the problem. The other three Gospels that all record this, they just say the rooster crows. It doesn't say that uh, after the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. It just says after the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, here's the thing, especially for you students. If any of you students go to a, a, especially a secular university... You take a class on religion, this is the kind of thing that many professors love to hone in on. And they will say, look, let's just stipulate the fact that the Bible contradicts itself. 
And this is a good example of a place where the Bible contradicts itself. One place it says the rooster crows, or three places it says that. The the other place it says the rooster crows twice. Now, for one thing, there are a number of manuscripts, and the footnote, I think, virtually explains it. It says that uh, uh, some of the uh, early ones don't have anything about how many times the rooster crows. There's been lots of studies of this. In fact, I went back to my, uh, my uh, different commentaries on Bible difficulties and, and things like that. There's all kinds of explanation, explanations about this. I think you can explain it with the manuscripts. But I think uh, the other thing that at least makes sense to me is that we just have different perspectives being recorded here of what took place. In other words, if uh, one says the, after the rooster crows and the other says he crowed twice, well, he had to crow before he could crow twice. And the fact that he crowed doesn't exclude the idea that he crowed twice. He might have crowed three times or whatever. It's just saying that uh, that took place. It would be, for instance, because we all have different perspectives, let's say you left the service today and someone said, and and this would not be an unusual question, Uh, suppose someone said, well, what did Pastor Ralph do in the service today? I mean, I'm sure you guys talk about that after a service. And some people would say, well, Pastor Ralph did the announcements. And someone else might say, you know, if you ask them separately, well, Pastor Ralph did the announcements and the invocation. Now, are both true? Absolutely. Both are true. They're just different perspectives of the same thing taking place. And that's what we see here. Uh, There are other places, by the way, that are harder to explain than that. And at some points, we have to say, yes, we just need to take it by faith that all of Scripture is true. But at this point, there should be no problem with the conflict. Now, let's get back to the point here, though. And by the way, that's how we need to deal with them, just right up front. Don't don't ever avoid them or say, well, don't ask those questions, because then it looks like that there is some problem there or that we can't handle if, uh, if questions are asked of us. Now, let's get back to the point, though. Peter And I'm convinced that he is sincere here. Peter blurts out some dumb things, but he is sincere. He's convinced that he would never disown Jesus. He really believed it, but he misjudged his own strength and his own weakness. I heard a a tape some years back. That's why I say a tape. It was a cassette tape of a pastor-author who had fallen into sin. And this was some time after he had fallen into sin, and he was speaking at a men's retreat. 
He talked about his fall into immorality. And he said this. He said, you know what? Here's the thing. If you had asked me a year ago, what area are you most susceptible? Where would you fall if ever you would fall? He said, I don't know. I I would have said something like this. I'm not sure what area I would fall in, but the area I wouldn't would be in the area of relationships. And he said, that's exactly the area that I fell in, to immorality. His point, an unguarded strength is a weakness. We've got to remember that. An unguarded strength is a weakness. And that's what we have here with Peter. I would never an unguarded strength became his weakness. Paul put it this way. 1 Corinthians 10.12 So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. What area do you think you've got it covered? Don't ever presume there is such an area. Because if you quit guarding it because you think it's a strength, that is most likely where you will be attacked. That was Peter's problem here. An area he thought he was strong. Sadly, that's where Satan attacked. Now, here's the scary thing about this, to me, to me at least. How much pressure did it take? This was an area of strength, he thought. How much pressure did it take? A little servant girl. <laughs> that was it. A little servant girl said, wait a minute, weren't you with him? That was the first denial. Then she appealed to some around. I think he was with him. Second denial. Boom, boom. And then others accused him. You must have been with him. You were a Galilean. Curses out of that mouth that said, I, I would even die with you before I would deny you. That's how much pressure it took. We may be closer than we think to a fall, especially if there's an area we think we're strong. Now, what actually happened here? I think Peter's self-love won out. We see these denials in 68, 70, and 71. You can go back and read them. I just, just now recounted them. The servant girl confronts him. But let's break it down. Let's call it what it is. Peter felt threatened. He felt threatened for his safety. Now, 
to be fair, because it's easy for us to sit here and, and judge him and say what a coward he was. He caved in so quickly. Don't forget, apparently, he was the only one close enough to Jesus still to even be recognized. What happened to all the others? They were at least farther away. They had disappeared on him. And at least Peter was there. So we have to understand that somewhere in there was that desire to fulfill what he had said. And we can understand how he'd feel so threatened. Let's face it, we know the end of the story. We know that they were just after Jesus. They wanted to do him in. Peter and the disciples didn't know that. For all Peter knew, they would arrest Jesus and dispose of him, and they would arrest all of the other disciples, and Peter was a very prominent one. And so, yes, he would feel threatened. And that's what happened here. It was about self-preservation here. What's so disconcerting is how quickly after his bold statement it happened. It was within a short time. I couldn't find any commentator that estimated the amount of time. If you find one, let me know. I'd be interested in that. But I tried to kind of figure it out. First of all, you have Peter's statement that he would never deny him. That was either at Gethsemane or on the way. And then you have the time of prayer in the garden and the events that took place in the garden. Then Jesus is arrested. He's whisked off to his trial before the Sanhedrin. And then this event took place during that trial. I would guess that we're talking perhaps less than two hours. couple hours later, after his bold statement, when he was first denying Jesus. His self-preservation, his self-love won out. Now, let's be clear about this. When I say this self-love, I am convinced that Peter still loved Jesus at those moments, he just loved himself more. But that's the nature of sin. The believer doesn't sin because he hates Jesus. And if quizzed in the middle of sin, he'd, he'd say, yes, I do love Jesus. But what happens is there is something that comes in, an an idol or a lust or an appetite or a temptation that comes in, or yourself, like in Peter's case. And for that time, for that moment, you love that more. It's not that you quit loving Jesus but you love that more. And that's what sin is. When we choose to love something more than we love Christ, 
at that moment or in that season of our life. Now, how did Peter come to grips with his sin? If you have the outline, I have Peter meets Jesus. Verse 72. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, the Mark passage says he remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. This is one of those places where comparing the other Gospels uh, can throw some light on what evidently took place. If you look, and I will read this to you, but if you want to write down Luke 22, if you look over in Luke 22, it tells how he denied Jesus, uh, 22.60. And then just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And then verse 61. It says... This is the same account. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. He met with the eyes of Jesus. Now, I suspect that at that moment, his self-love probably melted into self-loathing or at least loathing of what he was doing. Now, this isn't the first time Peter had met Jesus. I'm convinced this is a fresh encounter, though, with him. That's the difference between Peter and Judas. We have in these passages just a stark contrast You have a a contrast between, you know, the question could be, well, what's the difference between Judas, who did this awful thing to Jesus, and and Peter, who did this awful thing? At least Judas never said, I will never betray you, and then a couple hours later did. Although, he was probably one that chimed in and said, me either. What's the difference between those two. I think that is the difference. Judas was not only able to look Jesus in the face, but he kissed him on the cheek. When Peter saw Jesus, he melted into repentance. That's the difference between a regenerate heart, one that God has given to us, and an unregenerate heart that is cold. Judas's heart. Judas, at least who, at least initially, seemed to have no conscience. Now let's go further with Peter and Jesus. That Luke 22 passage again. Verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, Strengthen your brothers. Now, Jesus had warned Peter, Simon, Satan's asked you to sift you as wheat. If you've ever seen that, and I have to say I've only seen it on the Travel Channel, but sifting of wheat, shaking it up, sifts it out, good from the bad, 
Satan asked permission, evidently was given permission. But, not just to shake them up, look what Jesus says. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Isn't that interesting? Because we tend to think, well, his faith did fail. So was Jesus' prayer not answered? So how are we going to get this together? Well, Satan would have his outward influence. He's been given permission to try you, but look at what Jesus is doing here. While Peter's being attacked by Satan, he prayed for Peter. And even though it looks like Peter failed, we have to know that Jesus' prayer was answered. Look at the rest of what it says. And when you have turned back. See, he's saying your faith's not going to ultimately fail. You might have a failure, but your faith's not going to go away. When you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. Jesus, at this point, the Father did not keep Peter from the trial. He didn't keep Peter from temporary failure. But we cannot say that he ultimately failed because Jesus had plans for him when he would turn back. He said, this is what you need to do when you turn back. Not if you turn back or if you make a good decision later or if you get into a revival or anything like that, he says, when? Then strengthen your brothers. After you fall, you'll have something to offer them. Ferguson said this, he was emptied first of all, that he might be filled. He was broken down, that he might be made strong. He wept, that he might know the joy of true forgiveness. Fast forward through the crucifixion to after the resurrection. Jesus is raised from the dead. In John 21, Jesus, who had been denied three times, asked Peter three times if he loved him. Each time, Peter reaffirmed his love for Jesus And Jesus gave Peter a task. Now notice the order there. It's not, I'm going to give you a task so you can redeem yourself, or I'm going to give you a task to do penance or anything like that. Love was all he was concerned about. You love me? You love me? Really, Peter, you love me? He gave him the opportunity after three times denying him, to three times profess his love for Jesus. And each time he gave him a task. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now these were tasks that Peter was able to carry out in a unique way, a better way because he knew his own weakness and he knew how much he needed Jesus. He knew how much he'd been forgiven. It wasn't theory with him. It was experience. 
Jesus was in a different way now saying, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Strengthen your brothers. That may be the case for you. Maybe there's a a brokenness that you have experienced. Maybe you relate more to the Peter who failed than to a strong Peter. Maybe you feel unworthy to serve or to share or to minister to others. Well, that's where grace comes in. The resume of the Christ follower is not to prove how strong we are. But the resume of the Christ follower is to show how strong he is and what he has done in a life that could have, should have, or was all broken up and maybe didn't seemingly have much to offer. I want you to think of Peter, who failed at such a crucial test. And then Jesus restores him. And then Peter, a few weeks later, preaches on the day of Pentecost. You know what happened there? 3,000 or so made professions of faith, were added to the church from this puny failure. Peter, the denier, becomes Peter, the professor, the preacher. Not in his own strength, but in the mighty power of God. And that grace, that grace that Peter experienced in a fresh way, is there for us. For you, you have not failed worse than him. You can never fail beyond where his grace can restore. Let's rejoice in his restoring grace. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, that you saw fit to record this account of Peter, who we can so easily relate to, at least his failure part. But thank you for that your grace is a grace that restores broken people, that makes us useful. Doesn't show anything about us. It shows how deep your love is, how truly amazing your grace is. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen.